Section 37 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part 2. The Odyssey. Episode 14. Oxen of the Sun. Part 5. Francis was reminding Stephen of years before when they had been at school together in Conmee's time. He asked about Glocon and Alcibiades and Pisistratus. Where were they now? Neither knew. You have spoken of the past and its phantoms, Stephen said. Why think of them? If I call them into life across the waters of Letha, will not the poor ghosts troop to my call? Who supposes it? I, Bus Stephanamunus, bullock-befriending bard, am lord and giver of their life. He encircled his gadding hair with a coronal of vine leaves, smiling at Vincent. That answer and those leaves, Vincent said to him, will adorn you more fitly when something more, and greatly more, than a capful of light odes can call your genius father. All who wish you well hope this for you. All desire to see you bring forth the work you meditate, to acclaim you Stephanophoros. I heartily wish you may not fail them. Oh, no, Vincent Lenahan said, laying a hand on the shoulder near him. Have no fear. He could not leave his mother an orphan. The young man's face grew dark. All could see how hard it was for him to be reminded of his promise and of his recent loss. He would have withdrawn from the feast had not the noise of voices allayed the smart. Madden had lost five drachmas on scepter for a whim of the rider's name. Lenahan is much more. He told them of the race. The flag fell and, huh, off, scamper. The mare ran out freshly with O Madden up. She was leading the field. All hearts were beating. Even Phyllis could not contain herself. She waved her scarf and cried, Huzzah! Scepter wins! But in the straight, on the run home, when all were in close order, the dark horse throwaway, drew level, reached, outstripped her. All was lost now. Phyllis was silent. Her eyes were sad anemones. Juno, she cried, I am undone. But her lover consoled her and brought her a bright casket of gold in which lay some oval sugar plums which she partook. A tear fell, one only. A whacking fine whip, said Lanahan, is W. Lane. Four winners yesterday and three today. What rider is like him? Mount him on the camel or the boisterous buffalo, the victory in a hack canter is still his. But let us bear it as was the ancient wont. Mercy on the luckless. Poor scepter, he said with a light sigh. She is not the filly that she was. Never by this hand shall we behold such another. By gad, sir, a queen of them. Do you remember her, Vincent? I wish you could have seen my queen to-day, Vincent said. How young she was and radiant. Lalage was scarce fair beside her. In her yellow shoes and frock of muslin, I do not know the right name of it. The chestnuts that shaded us were in bloom. The air drooped with their persuasive odor and with pollen floating by us. In the sunny patches one might easily have cooked on a stone a batch of those buns with Corinth fruit in them that Periplipopenes sells in his booth near the bridge. But she had naught for her teeth but the arm with which I held her, and in that she nibbled mischievously when I pressed too close. A week ago she lay ill, four days on the couch, but today she was free, blithe, mocked at peril. She is more taking, then. Her posies, tool, mad romp that she is, she had pulled her fill as we reclined together. And in your ear, my friend, you will not think who met us as we left the field. Conmee himself. He was walking by the hedge, reading. 
I think a brevier book with, I doubt not, a witty letter in it from Glycera or Chloe to keep the page. The sweet creature turned all colors in her confusion, feigning to reprove a slight disorder in her dress. A slip of underwood clung there for the very trees adore her. When Conmi had passed, she glanced at her lovely echo in that little mirror she carries. But he had been kind. In going by, he had blessed us. The gods, too, are ever kind, Lenahan said. If I had poor luck with Bass's mare, perhaps this draft of his may serve me more propensely. He was laying his hand upon a wine jar. Malachi saw it and withheld his act, pointing to the stranger and to the scarlet label. Warily, Malachi whispered, preserve a druid silence. His soul is far away. It is as painful, perhaps, to be awakened from a vision as to be born. Any object, incensely regarded, may be a gate of access to the incorruptible eon of the gods. Do you not think it, Stephen? Theosophus told me so, Stephen answered, whom in a previous existence Egyptian priests initiated into the mysteries of karmic law. The lords of the moon, Theosophus told me, an orange fiery shipload from planet Alpha of the lunar chain would not assume the etheric doubles, and these were therefore incarnated by the ruby-colored egos from the second constellation. However, as a matter of fact, though, the preposterous surmise about him being in some description of a doldrums or other or mesmerized, which was entirely due to a misconception of the shallowest character, was not the case at all. The individual whose visual organs, while the above was going on, were at this juncture commencing to exhibit symptoms of animation, was as astute, if not astuter, than any man living, and anybody that conjectured the contrary would have found themselves pretty speedily in the wrong shop. During the past four minutes or thereabouts, he had been staring hard at a certain amount of number one bass, bottled by Messrs. Bass and Company at Burton-on-Trent, which happened to be situated amongst a lot of others right opposite to where he was, and which was certainly calculated to attract anyone's remark on account of its scarlet appearance. He was simply and solely, as it subsequently transpired for reasons best known to himself, which put quite an altogether different complexion on the proceedings, after the moments before's observations about boyhood days in the turf, recollecting two or three private transactions of his own, which the other two were as mutually innocent of as the babe unborn. Eventually, however, both their eyes met, and as soon as it began to dawn on him that the other was endeavoring to help himself to the thing, he involuntarily determined to help himself, and so he accordingly took hold of the neck of the medium-sized glass recipient, which contained the fluid sought after, and made a capacious hole in it by pouring a lot of it out with, also at the same time, however, a considerable degree of attentiveness in order not to upset any of the beer that was in it about the place. The debate which ensued was in its scope and progress an epitome of the course of life. Neither place nor council was lacking in dignity. The debaters were the keenest in the land, the theme they were engaged on the loftiest and most vital. The high hall of Horn's house had never beheld an assembly so representative and so varied, nor had the old rafters of that establishment ever listened to a language so encyclopedic. A gallant theme in truth it made. Crothers was there at the foot of the table in his striking highland garb, his face glowing from the briny airs of the mull of Galloway. There, too, opposite to him, was Lynch, whose countenance bore already the stigmata of early depravity and premature wisdom. Next, the Scotchman was the place assigned to Costello, the eccentric, 
while at his side was seated in stolid repose the squat form of Madden. The chair of the resident indeed stood vacant before the hearth, but on either flank of it the figure of Bannon in explorer's kit of tweed shorts and salted cowhide brogues contrasted sharply with the primrose elegance and town-bred manners of Malachi Roland St. John Mulligan. Lastly, at the head of the board was the young poet, who found a refuge from his labors of pedagogy and metaphysical inquisition in the convivial atmosphere of Socratic discussion, while to right and left of him were accommodated the flippant prognosticator, fresh from the hippodrome, and that vigilant wanderer, soiled by the dust of travel and combat, and stained by the mire of an indelible dishonor, but from whose steadfast and constant heart no lure or peril or threat or degradation could ever efface the image of that voluptuous loveliness which the inspired pencil of Lafayette has limned for ages yet to come. It had better be stated here and now at the outset that the perverted transcendentalism to which Mr. S. Dedalus div sep contentions would appear to prove him pretty badly addicted runs directly counter to accepted scientific methods. Science, it cannot be too often repeated, deals with tangible phenomena. The man of science, like the man in the street, has to face hard-headed facts that cannot be blinked and explain them as best he can. There may be, it is true, some questions which science cannot answer, at present, such as the first problem submitted by Mr. L. Bloom, Pub Canv, regarding the future determination of sex. Must we accept the view of Empedocles, of Trinacria, that the right ovary, the post-menstrual period, assert others, is responsible for the birth of males, or are the too long neglected spermatozoa or nemosperms the differentiating factor, or is it, as most um, embryologists incline to opine, such as Culpepper, Spallanzani, Blumenbach, Lusk, Hertwig, Leopold, and Valenti, a mixture of both? This would be tantamount to a cooperation, one of nature's favorite devices, between the nicest formativus of the nemosperm on the one hand, and, on the other, a happily chosen position, succubitus felix of the passive element. The other problem raised by the same inquirer is scarcely less vital, infant mortality. It is interesting because, as he pertinently remarks, we are all born in the same way, but we all die in different ways. Mr. M. Mulligan, Heig et Uke Doc, blames the sanitary conditions in which our gray-lunged citizens contract adenoids, pulmonary complaints, etc., by inhaling the bacteria which lurk in dust. These factors, he alleged, and the revolting spectacles offered by our streets, hideous publicity posters, religious ministers of all denominations, mutilated soldiers and sailors, exposed scorbutic card drivers, the suspended carcasses of dead animals, paranoiac bachelors, and unfructified duennas. These, he said, were accountable for any and every falling off in the caliber of the race. Calipedia, he prophesied, would soon be generally adopted, and all the graces of life, genuinely good music, agreeable literature, light philosophy, instructive pictures, plaster-cast reproductions of the classical statues such as Venus and Apollo, artistic colored photographs of prize babies, all these little attentions would enable ladies who were in a particular condition to pass the intervening months in a most enjoyable manner. Mr. J. Crothers, disc back, 
attributes some of these demises to abdominal trauma in the case of women workers subjected to heavy labors in the workshop and to marital discipline in the home, but by far the vast majority to neglect, private or official, culminating in the exposure of newborn infants, the practice of criminal abortion, or in the atrocious crime of infanticide. Although the former, we are thinking of neglect, is undoubtedly only too true, the case he cites of nurses forgetting to count the sponges in the peritoneal cavity is too rare to be normative. In fact, when one comes to look into it, the wonder is that so many pregnancies and deliveries go off so well as they do, all things considered and in spite of our human shortcomings, which often balk nature in her intentions. An ingenious suggestion is that thrown out by Mr. V. Lynch, back Arith, that both natality and mortality, as well as other phenomena of evolution, tidal movements, lunar phases, blood temperatures, diseases in general, everything in fine in nature's vast workshop from the extinction of some remote sun to the blossoming of one of the countless flowers which beautify our public parks is subject to a law of numeration as yet unascertained. Still the plan of straightforward question why a child of normally healthy parents and seemingly a healthy child and properly looked after succumbs unaccountably in early childhood though other children of the same marriage do not, must certainly, in the poet's words, give us pause. Nature, we may rest assured, has her own good and cogent reasons for whatever she does, and in all probability such deaths are due to some law of anticipation by which organisms in which morbus germs have taken up their residence, modern science has conclusively shown that only the plasmic substance can be said to be immortal, tend to disappear at an increasingly earlier stage of development, an arrangement which, though productive of pain to some of our feelings, notably the maternal, is nevertheless, some of us think, in the long run beneficial to the race in general in securing thereby the survival of the fittest. Mr. S. Dedalus, Div Skep, remark, or should it be called an interruption, that an omnivorous being which can masticate, deglute, digest, and apparently pass through the ordinary channel with pluter-perfect imperturbability such multifarious ailments as cancerous females emaciated by parturition, corpulent professional gentlemen, not to speak of jaundiced politicians and choleritic nuns, might possibly find gastric relief in an innocent collation of staggering bob, reveals as naught else could, and in a very unsavory light, the tendency above alluded to. For the enlightenment of those who are not so in intimately acquainted with the minutiae of municipal abattoir as this morbid-minded esthete and embryo philosopher, who for all his overweening bumptiousness in things scientific can scarcely distinguish an acid from an alkali, prides himself on being, it should perhaps be stated that staggering Bob in the vile parlance of our lower-class licensed victuallers signifies the cookable and eatable flesh of a calf newly dropped from its mother. In a recent public controversy with Mr. L. Bloom, Pub Canv, which took place in the Commons Hall of National Maternity Hospital, 29, 30, and 31 Hollis Street, of which, as is well known, Dr. A. Horn, licensed in midwifery FKQCPI, is the able and popular master. He is reported by eyewitnesses as having stated that once a woman has let the cat into the bag, an esthete's allusion presumably to one of the most complicated and marvelous of all nature's processes, the act of sexual congress, she must let it out again or give it life, as he phrased it, to save her own. 
at the risk of her own was the telling rejoinder of his interlocutor none the less effective for the moderate and measured tone in which it was delivered meanwhile the skill and patience of the physician had brought about a happy accouchement it had been a weary weary while both for patient and doctor all that surgical skill could do was done and the brave woman had manfully helped she had she had fought the good fight and now she was very very happy those who have passed on who have gone before are happy too as they gaze down and smile upon the touching scene reverently look at her as she reclines there with the mother light in her eyes that longing hunger for baby fingers a pretty sight it is to see in the first bloom of her new motherhood breathing a silent prayer of thanksgiving to one above the universal husband and as her loving eyes behold her babe she wishes only one blessing more to have her dear Doty there with her to share her joy to lay in his arms that might of god's clay the fruit of their lawful embraces he is older now you and i may whisper it and a trifle stooped in the shoulders yet in the whirligig of years a grave dignity has come to the conscientious second accountant of the ulster bank college green branch oh doty loved one of old faithful life mate now it may never be again that far-off time of the roses with the old shake of her pretty head she recalls those days god how beautiful now across the mist of years but their children are grouped in her imagination above the bedside hers and his charlie mary alice frederick albert if he had lived mamie budgie victoria francis tom violet constance louisa darling little bobsey called after our famous hero of the south african war lord bobs of waterford and kandahar and now this last pledge of their union a purefoy if ever there was one with the true purefoy nose young hopeful will be christened mortimer edward after the influential third cousin of mr purefoy in the treasury remembrancer's office dublin castle and so time wags on but father cronian has dealt lightly here no let no sigh break from that bosom dear gentle mina and doty knock the ashes from your pipe the seasoned briar you still fancy when the curfew rings for you may it be the distant day and doubt the light whereby you read in the sacred book for the oil too has run low and so with a tranquil heart to bed to rest he knows and will call in his own good time you too have fought the good fight and played loyally your man's part sir to you my hand well done thou good and faithful servant there are sins or let us call them as the world calls them evil memories which are hidden away by man in the darkest places of the heart but they abide there and wait he may suffer their memory to grow dim let them be as though they had not been and all but persuade himself that they were not or at least were otherwise yet a chance word will call them forth suddenly and they will rise up to confront him in the most various circumstances a vision or a dream or while timbrel and harp soothe his senses or amid the cool silver tranquillity of the evening or at the feast at midnight when he is now filled with wine not to insult over him will the vision come as over one that lies under her wrath not for vengeance to cut him off from the living but shrouded in the piteous vesture of the past silent remote reproachful end of section 37 read by richard wallace liberty missouri 12 january 2011